it's not something that I do particularly well. <laughs> Shocker. There's, I know. A, there's a reason I brought this up because I, I knew I was going to like hit to a make, pain point here. To make fun of me. That's exactly <laughs> what you wanted to do with this. Would the world not be a simpler place if baking soda and baking powder were just one substance? There's got to be something that you learned from that process that will help you strengthen your overall process as you move forward. Otherwise, you're just not learning from anything and you're going to be making the same mistakes over and over. There are a couple people that that I know who are really successful who just kind of like wing it and get by and because I'm someone who works really hard, that bothers me. You're such a snob. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives, an audio experience for creatives and thinkers. So, Steve, you're hitting the road again soon, aren't you? For, I am. For your final presentation on disruption? Yeah, uh, it's been a long road. Um, actually, it hasn't been a long road. There's just been a few presentations. And <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to say that I feel like I'm finally retiring this, this, uh, this presentation. So this will be the, you know, the last one that I'm doing. And plus this last road, if you will, is the shortest one. You said it's pretty local, right? You don't have to go to Canada again or anything like that. Yeah. No passport required. It's like a 45 minute drive. So, uh, all the better. And it's in a one day thing. So no stay or in good shape at that. Nice. And are there other speakers at this or is this just like yeah, your a, name a, on the marquee? No, 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 no. Um, there's a, it's a two day conference for the New York chapter of school public relations professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's their annual conference. And um, I've had the chance and the, the the good fortune to present there a few times um, over the last few years. So it's good to get back up there. It's good to see some people I don't get the chance to see very often because they're scattered throughout the state. Um, so always a good opportunity. So at this point, do you feel like you have this memorized? I mean, in the last episode, you actually talked a little bit about your process in how you prepared for this presentation initially about how you, um, if I remember correctly, actually write out word for word, like a script. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm assuming like at this point you have, you have it pretty memorized and have like, have you altered it since the original copy was written? There's a few things that I might change since I did the first one. Um, but by and large, it's the same thing. You know, the thing that always concerns me and it's like anything else is there, there was a long period of time between the Toronto one that I did back in the end of January. And when I did it the the last time before that, which was in July. Um, so the rhythm of a present of a workshop of a presentation, um, always concerns me because I'm more concerned about not dragging on or lagging or spending too much time explaining something and losing somebody. So the pace and the rhythm is always important to me. I'm always concerned about making sure that that's down. I have a few jokes that are built into the presentation. So I'm always concerned about sounding robotic when it comes around to that point in time. And yeah, it's a little, I feel the same way too. Not that I've given like a lot of presentations, but even when I'm saying things, um, on Instagram stories sometimes, or even just writing social media posts. I like noticed when I was going back through my Instagram feed that I made the same joke twice within like a month. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize that I did that. But you know, what are the chances, first of all, that anyone caught that or that they would remember? And I'm sure, you know, especially with this audience, I'm assuming that most of the people that are going to be there are hearing this for the first time. So 
uh, it really yeah, doesn't matter. I think any creative uh, would feel, you know, this way, unless you've just completely, you know, let it go. Um, you know, you notice these things, you, you know, you as a, as, and it's not to say that, that what I'm doing has any creative, you know, juice or feel to it. Um, you know, people give presentations, but you do notice these things. You do care, you care about the way they sound. Um, so I'm always conscious of that stuff and you never want to sound kind of over rehearsed or over robotic, but, um, but yeah, those are the things I probably worry about the most. The rest of it I have, I feel like I have pretty much, uh, down. So, you know, Cool. But I'm excited about it. I'm excited about getting back up there and doing it, doing it one more time, one more for the road. Now, how many times have you done this? Uh, this is the, I think this is the fifth time I've done this workshop. Okay. Have you had crowds that are more responsive than others? And like, how do you handle that? Um, it's certainly better when people are engaged, um, because the questions I feel like are good. When I was in Canada, I felt like there were some really good questions and exp uh, examples that people were volunteering on their own that were in line with the workshop. Um, when I was in San Antonio last summer doing this, it was kind of the same. Um, surprisingly enough, I've done it for my own team who I work with at, at, at work on a regular basis. And they were the most disengaged of, of All anybody. Them were on their so, phones. <laughs> yeah. They didn't really, they didn't really care too much about it. So go team. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a real shot in the arm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly better when people are, are engaged. I feel like there are presenters who do better when they're just talking at people because they don't want to get thrown off their rhythm. I frankly welcome the questions and the feedback, um, because it's my, it's, it's their presentation as much as it's mine. You know, they're coming to learn something from me and I try to keep that in mind when I'm, you know, putting it together. So, um, you know, where there, you also know where the holes are in the presentation. When I say holes, it's not to be that there's mistakes in there or there's things that are missing. I'm just saying that there's natural pauses where it makes sense for somebody to say like, so when you, at, when you say this, do you mean, you know, and it yeah. kind of segues nicely into, you know, wherever you're kind of heading next. So, um, so yeah, it's better when, when people are, are engaged and not just engaged with you as a presenter one-on-one, -on -one, but also thinking about what you're saying as it relates to their work and trying to you know, foreshadow a little bit, um, how they might be taking what you're talking about and, and utilizing it, or maybe even examples of things. I love when, when things, when the light bulb goes on mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you'll say, you know, you'll, you'll see them connect what you're saying to something that's played out and they might not have known why it played out that way, but now it's kind of clicked for them and it opens up this whole new world. So wow. that's always exciting. I, I really like when that happens. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the ultimate win. So when you're preparing for something like this, where, where are you spending the most amount of time? Is it like thinking about it, writing, editing, researching? Do you feel like you've spent more time in one area than another? I always try to come at the creative process um, or the process of putting a presentation together from the standpoint of what do I want? my audience to walk away from this presentation remembering. I think it's hard to have an audience walk away and, and remember everything that you've said for an hour because none of us have attention spans that last that long. Mm -hmm. Um, you almost have to boil it down to one or two things that you want them to take away. Um, so I try to start from, okay, what am I talking about? What are they asking me to come here to talk about? But under that heading, what do I want them to remember? 
And then I try to structure a presentation built around those pillars, I'll call them, because if you can remember the pillars, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. Um, so that's kind of my my process for for workshops or speeches or things like that. Um, I can talk for an hour, but and show examples and 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 you know make jokes and whatever it is. But ultimately, I want people walking away saying, "This is what I remember." Okay, so more foundation type work. Yeah, I think so. Now, let me ask you, because we're talking about this from a presentation standpoint, not all people listening to this are giving speeches or anything like that. So is there a parallel in like a design field? Because I can say from social media, you want your people taking, you want your audience taking an action on something. You don't want them to just look at something and go, okay, and then kind of scroll on by. Like you want them to do something with that content. So is there a similar role from the design standpoint? I keep going back to the word foundation. That's what keeps popping into my head because I think... Our school, St. Rose specifically, hammer that into our heads from day one. Um, I went in knowing that I was a graphic design major. That was, you know, my major was declared. And we did not go on a computer for two, the first two years of school. All of those courses, which were tons of art courses, were all laying the foundation for learning things like composition, art history, color theory, um, typography. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know if they still do it that way. And I don't know if other schools do that. And at the time, I think I was just so anxious to get on the computer, but now looking back on it, I see why our school, um, they're known to have a really good graphic design program. And I think that this, the foundation is a big part of that. Um, but then even when, once we did start, doing computer work, it was still so much about like, okay, what are you going to do before you get on the computer? You have to like sketch out what you want. You have to really think you have to do your research. You have to find inspiration, all of that stuff. So the actual like execution part when you're on the computer still for me feels like it's such a small portion of the entire process. Yeah. But I think that that's sometimes it can be overlooked when you're thinking about working on a certain project or um, you know, a presentation, a lot of times you can get lost in getting it up and running and then you kind of either read it over or look it over and you're going, I'm not quite sure what action I would take on this, even if this came across my feed or if this was presented to me. So it almost becomes the challenge of it's setting a goal. You know, I want my audience, I want this audience to know this or do this. And then you're working not backwards, but you're kind of working, you're drilling down from that top goal all the way down to, you know, under that goal comes your research. Under that research comes how you're going to, you know, set out that course. And then, you know, ultimately the specifics things that you're going to do in order to kind of fulfill that process. So, um, it, it's a, it's a form of, of, what we call communications planning, but it's a form of planning that, you know, if you're not thinking about everything in relation to the goal that you are setting for yourself, you're really not going to come close to making an impact. And I've given plenty of presentations over the years, especially early on in my career that didn't follow that roadmap. And you pay for it because 
in the end, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of skepticism and, you know, that's really awkward to be in that position. And I think we've, I mean, you've probably experienced that from a design standpoint. I certainly have from creating social content where you're like, this really didn't match what I want my brand's, you know, vision or, or brand's, um, uh, you know, experience to be. Um, it's uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I think that process really comes in handy when you're thinking about uh, putting something together. This may be like a simple way to think of it, but it's almost like having a, a point of reference that you can always return to as you're going through the process, the creation process. And that question is just like, what is the point? Why? Why are you doing this? What is your why? Um, and I think for me, sometimes this is just like a motivational thing. I'll be working on something and I'll be like, I really don't want to be doing this right now, especially if I, if I hit a roadblock, but if I know and remind myself, Michelle, like you started this because you want to accomplish this or you want to help like this person or these people that always helps me kind of refocus and remember why I started as cliche as that sounds. Cause one of your hallmark quotes that we use a lot on our social accounts for, for podcasts, for creatives is plan, then do execution is so much easier when you don't have to think as you go. So that's kind of what you're getting at here is, is that sometimes we just, you know, we just start running with an idea and we're not really even sure what are we doing here with it? I've been, I've been there many a time where I just get so excited about an idea and just start acting on it immediately with no plan. And none of those have ever like come to fruition because it's that, that foundation is missing. It's like, you know, it's like trying to build a house on a pile of mud. Like the foundation needs to be built first. It's not research in the sense of, you know, go to the library and and research this topic, but it's, it's, it's hard research, it's data, it's analytics, it's anecdotal, it's things that you might come across on social media that help kind of inform, um, you know, what you're talking about. So it does require a creative eye. Oh, absolutely. Um, and doing that uh, for design work is actually super fun. I mean, people, some people like to create like mood boards or, or Pinterest boards, um, but sometimes it's just like, flipping through a magazine or sometimes if I'm, you know, at a a target or something and I see like a nice uh, type treatment, like I'll snap a photo of it and then refer back to it. Like when I'm starting on a project, I, I don't always do this, but I have found that my stronger design pieces are ones where I did take the time to actually create like an official mood board where I have my entire color palette. I have a bunch of examples because it's that it's that plan then execute like once you have all of that stuff it's like you just you just do it and it just flows well it's it's a roadmap i yeah. mean like it's it's a roadmap it's direction you're that, writing directions for yourself right and the thing is the thing about that is i mean obviously you have to have the skill set and that's a, that's a really important part to this planning and execution process because i mean if it's a roadmap or a blueprint you know, think about a house. If you have a blueprint for a house <laughs> and you can't bang in a nail to a piece of wood, yep. the blueprint is rendered useless. So like, obviously you have to have the skill set to do this stuff, but having the plan, I mean, that takes away all the guesswork. You know where you're going. You know how you're going to get there. It's just following the map. Yeah. Uh, I find, I don't know if this is like a personality thing. Maybe just both of us are like this, but 
I mean, even I keep thinking of recipes too. I don't like, I know that you cook, like, are you more of a recipe person or are you more of a, just like, I'm going to just wing it and like throw some stuff together. type? Of I person? am. Uh, it depends on the meal, but I probably skew recipe, um, because I really trust the map. You know, I might not be measuring things out exactly like leveling off the spoon with the mm-hmm. flour on it or something, but I am looking at the recipe and making sure it's like, okay, it's a teaspoon. I might, you know, <laughs> stretch what a definition of a teaspoon is of something, yeah. but I have, I have the recipe there. Same. Like for anyone who has a personality similar to ours, like, have you ever tried to make something that you've never made before? And like not paid attention to the to the instructions. I mean that just the thought of that stresses me out. And Jimmy, have you done it? Have no, you done it? I mean like no. I, I I don't think I've like actually done it. But like I've seen Jimmy do it, where he'll be like, "Oh, I'm gonna like make this," and like he has the recipe, but like he's doing things out of order, and like he hasn't read all the way through, so he doesn't realize that like oh, this needs to like sit in the fridge overnight. You know, like <laughs> I've like witnessed those disasters, and that just Maybe it stresses me out is not the right word, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm made, definitely, uh, I'm a recipe follower. I need the instructions. I once, I watched my grandmother, um, and God rest her soul. Um, <laughs> I watched my grandmother for, for years make, um, these, these butter cookies. Uh, and I knew the recipe like the back of my hand and I was feeling good about everything. So the first time I ever made them by myself, I had everything out. I mean, I just, you know, it was an overconfident moment and you, I mean, this was brash confidence right here. Like I just, I know this and I know, I know how much vanilla needs to go in here. And the only mistake that I made was I screwed up baking powder and baking soda uh. and I put the wrong one in and the entire batch, it came out like pretzels. Like it tasted like pretzels. Like imagine biting into a cookie saying like, this is going to be a cookie and you're yeah. going, nope, that's more like a sourdough pretzel. <laughs> like it was just, it was, oh, it scarred me for life. And I, but you know, so Definitely having that that plan to to fall back on in that that process, so to speak, of just like let me make sure it's soda and not powder or vice versa, um, is is hugely important. And I feel like that's like what we we have to live we we live by in our in our roles is not trying to make a mistake that's self inflicted. You know, you might make a, you might have a plan and you might have a path and it might not go exactly the way you want it to, because you know, let's say for example, you go to post something on social media and maybe there's a situation that's playing out on social media from a national standpoint and your piece of content really didn't get the engagement rate that it typically would on a more quiet day. Well, that's something you can look back on and say, well, there, there was a mistake there. It wasn't maybe necessarily a mistake in the process, but in the execution and the way to play it out, that's something that happened. Or you could be just way off base in general but you yeah. got to evaluate that. So when you start this process again, you know, to avoid that situation. It's more of the like, why did I start this recipe to begin with? Did I really want this? I also just want to say, would the world not be a simpler place if baking soda and baking powder were just one substance? I would have felt better about my batch of cookies if that were the case. I think that that's like, that would help so many people. That is one of my favorite Three Stooges lines. I'm a huge Stooges fan of all time is Shemp's cooking something in the kitchen and he's trying to, he's, he's putting ingredients in on the shelf, just randomly putting things in and he's not he following can't, a recipe. Yeah. And he can't read very well. So he's looking at the shelf and he's going baking pow, pow, ba- powdered bacon. What do they think <laughs> of next? And it's just like, you know, and that's one of my favorite lines. So yeah, if we could just have that down to one thing, I mean, that would certainly make 
make a hell of a lot more sense. But like, think about it. You know, this is exactly what happened when you asked before about, you know, is it better when an audience is more engaged or how do you deal with that from a presentation standpoint? And I said to you, like early on in this process, I'd be doing presentations just based on trying to explain something to somebody and not really focusing in on what do they want to know. So that's kind of how I refined, you know, my my process and all this and trying to make things better and become a better public speaker and a better presenter. And um, the evaluation component to your process, whatever that is, is hugely important because it only stands to serve your research. If your process is cyclical, you start from somewhere, you work through it, you get down to the end of it. It's not just, okay, this is over with and I'm done. There's got to be something that you learned from that process that will help you strengthen your overall process as you move forward. Otherwise, you're just not learning from anything and you're going to be making the same mistakes over and over. So let's talk about editing then, because I think that's really what you're talking about. It's it's, uh, assessing in your case, like how your presentation went, or in my case, how my design went. And I think this can apply to many different things, but writing, certainly. Um, Do you feel like you have an editing process, or do you just kind of like take it on a case-by-case basis? It's probably more on a case-by-case basis, but I think it's important to like to clarify that just because something doesn't go the way you set out for it to go doesn't mean it's a failure. Um, you know, there are a variety of reasons as to why things might not work out. The editing piece and, and the evaluation piece of everything for me is it serves as added research because if your process is cyclical, it really should bring you back to your research component. And when you're doing the research for your next project, whatever that might be, you have built in data from your last one that can serve as your research component. So editing definitely comes on a case by case, project by project basis for me, whether it's, you know, design uh, or excuse me, a social project, um, a presentation, you know, whatever it is, I'm constantly trying to learn from what didn't necessarily go the way I thought it was going to go. Um, and where I can strengthen certain things, I think to make it better, you know, you might set out with a social media campaign for something and it misses the mark. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was a failure. There might just be something in there that your audience isn't identifying with that. Maybe you thought they would based on the data and they didn't. Well, that's going to just change your whole process and not going to change your process, but it's going to, it's going to refine your process a little bit. So it's not a failure. You're just getting stronger as you go. That is something that I've really struggled with over the last few years, like kind of coming to terms with that, with shipping something before it's perfect, before it's 100% done. Because I mean, in my mind, there's, there's always room for improvement. So that perfect is never going to come. And I found that I've had these projects that I just dragged on and on and on because I wasn't sure of myself. But yeah, I I feel like since I've gotten over that, um, I've been able to start to work at a somewhat quicker pace. I've always kind of like classified myself as a, I don't want to say a slow worker because I think back to like my first job and I remember my boss saying to me like, Michelle, you can't give the editors and the production staff the impression that we can give people stuff this quickly. I basically what she was saying was I was working too fast. Not that it wasn't being done right. It was fine. But she didn't want to like set that precedence that like we can get things to them really quickly. 
So I don't want to say that I've been slow my entire life, but I know for my own projects where I have to be the one to set the direction, I drag it out because I know that if I finish it, it means I'm saying like, this is great, good enough to put out. And then I have to own it if it's not. Does that bother you? At all? Oh, that I have to put stuff out and I don't feel like it's 100% perfect? Well, that that it, that you're purposely slowing down your process at times just to not give off or in the past have done that to oh. not give off the, the impression that more can be done in, in yeah. less time. Or It did bother me. Um, that was when I was working full time. But I mean, it's not really relevant now because it's just it's me setting that. And I, I don't purposefully work slow for sure. I mean, I, I wish I could work faster, but I think anyone who's a perfectionist or as my friend Lauren likes to say, like a recovering perfectionist, it's just, it's, it's being able to move forward and know that like, you're going to miss some things and it's okay. You can go back and edit it. So what's it like not to work full time? Oh, it's a dream. I was just, uh, <sighs> I was just saying this Sounds to, so good. to my sister, Laura, over the weekend because she just started a new job and she like hated her old job and she likes her new one. Like she definitely likes the place where she's working now, but she's still like, I just don't want to be doing this. She's like, this is not what I want to be doing with my life. And I said, you know what? Like, I hate to tell you this, but I don't know anyone who works a full time job that doesn't complain about it. It's everyone. Every minute of every day. And I, I saw I saw an Instagram post the other day, you know, somebody had like, you know, a Monday motivation post and it was something along the lines of like, was it a bad day or was it a bad five minutes that you complained about for the whole day? And I'm like, it was a bad day. Like, you know, it sometimes it just happens that way because that's the the mode you're in sometimes working on those types of of, uh, of industries. Although a lot of our audience, I feel like, is not of that nine to five, Monday through Friday, not to say that they don't work hard on mm-hmm. hours where, you know, me or other people who do are not in the office. But I feel like a lot of people are more like you than they are, than they are me. More of the entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it actually goes back to that thing that we were talking about before about having the purpose. We all have a purpose that we are determining 100%. So Obviously, we need to pay the bills. So sometimes we may be working on projects that we're not 100% enthused about. But for the most part, we get to call the shots. And I think there's a power in that. I mean, that's you're determining your own happiness, if you will. What is that like? I just want to know more about this. <laughs> Tell me more about this. Stooges. <laughs> Tell me more about these stooges. <laughs> hey, you got one like little foot in the door doing doing some podcasting. I mean... It, oh, yeah. I think it's good to have a creative outlet for sure. If yeah. you're a creative person working full time. And um, since I was just talking about my sister, Laura, she kind of is on the same path as you in that, you know, she's working full time still, but she has her little passion project now that she and our friend Sierra run together, which is I'll give them a little shout out, see and explore on Instagram. And they actually have a website too. I will link to them in, a sh- in the show notes, but it's been so fun to see and watch the two of them grow this Instagram account and brand. And they've already accomplished some cool things, like had some big brands repost their posts. And actually, um, they just had their 100th post, which coincided with having another website do a feature using all of their photos, which is like super cool that they're just doing this part time. They kind of started around the same time that we started the podcast. And 
it just, you know, it makes me go back and say like the internet is so awesome that it, it gives us creative people these opportunities. Outlets are so necessary. I mean, for, for sanity, but to also scratch certain niches that, you know, you might not necessarily get to be doing if you're working a job that doesn't allow you that opportunity as much as you'd like. Uh, it's so important. I think that we could probably do an entire episode about creative outlets. <laughs> Maybe we could save part of that conversation for that. Yeah. No, I think that that makes, I, I think that's a great idea because, you know, you find, especially in this era of, of side hustle, you find so many people, you know, doing different things for different reasons. Some of it's financial, some of it's just peace of mind. Uh, so far for us, I feel like this is peace of mind more than it is financial because there's no money coming into this right now. Nope. Just but, spending money on mic stands. <laughs> in ch- with Chinese directions. With on Chinese them, how to directions. Put them together. Yeah. That's how you but you know pulled it's, it off. It's quality. It yeah. For the listeners who, who can't see me right now, I just ordered a new um, mic stand, which is one of those ones that has the arm. So I look, I look somewhat professional now, but it was really just a uh, $15 Amazon item that came with Chinese instructions. But I pulled it off. I was able to put it together 15 minutes before we hit record. Skills. That's talent. Yeah. Since we were talking about Laura and Sierra and talking about us working on the podcast, do you want to talk a little bit about collaborations and what it's like to work with other people on projects and how your process might be different in those circumstances? Yeah, because I think that's really challenging. Um, It's not something that I do particularly well. (laughs) Shocker. There's a a reason I brought this up because I I knew I was going to like hit a pain point here to make fun of me. That's exactly (laughs) what you wanted to do with this. Um, I don't do well with it, but look, I'm of the mindset. If you get, if you get 10 people in a room working on something and you need them to pick a direction, like there's a great quote and I'm going to butcher it, but if I can paraphrase it, it's something like if you had a room full of 10 people and you asked them to select what would flavor of ice cream and you put them in a room and they had to come up with what the favorite flavor is by the time they come out of it, they're going to choose vanilla because it's the least, you know, out there flavor. Everybody can agree. We, everybody likes vanilla. So let's just go with vanilla. And I think that bothers me as somebody who has this creative side because I like vanilla too, but what if we tried this and really, you know, whatever that might be, it can be frustrating you know, I'm always of the mindset you want to kill an you want to kill an idea, get a committee working on it um, yeah. because that's going to it's going to be the end game. Everybody comes into it with different mindsets. And that's really the challenge before you even start is getting everybody to agree upon what the goal is. Um, and that's usually the mistake that's made when people are working in collaborations is you want to have your, your, your a group around you to do something. But if they're coming at it from different perspectives, even though those backgrounds are important to the design and the creation process, if they're coming out of a different perspectives and ultimately different goals, you're lost. You're lost. So do you feel like collaborations are easier when it's two people or three people? Like, do you feel like there is a, a point where you, you would hit that vanilla moment? <laughs> uh, less likely. I think if you're like-minded, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like the best collaborations are with people who, you know, think similarly to you, but will also keep you in check and yeah. vice versa. I have a team of, of people who I get the opportunity to work with, um, at work. They're kind of my, you know, a social media, 
um, squad. And we all have the same goal, which is helping people on our communications team get better at their digital and social presences. But there are times where somebody will say, what if we did? And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about this and somebody inevitably, unless it's a really good concept, which we have plenty of those too, somebody will inevitably say like, well, is this helping people get better? Is this, or is this just doing something to say we're doing something like, is this really relating back to what we want this to be? And I think you need that person to help keep you in check. And that requires leadership that requires somebody to say, I'm going to be the foreman on this. I'm going to be the director on this, whatever it is. If you just have people in a room who are working together on something without any real direction and without any real shared goals, um, it's really tough to make any sort of progress on that. So I think for me, the best kind of group work, if that's the case, as selfish as this sounds, is to have as close to like-minded as you can get um, and not having people be afraid to speak their minds. Yeah. Do you have a favorite project that you've worked on that has been a collaborative effort? Um, truthfully, this disruption presentation started out like that. Um, you know, that about two and a half years ago now, two years ago now, um, uh, a, uh, former colleague of mine and a really good friend, uh, Saber Sarnatero, who, uh, often listens to the podcast. And I really kind of settled in on doing this disruption workshop and we started putting, you know, the bones of it together and, um, you know, did some initial, you know, early versions of the presentation. Um, she left to take an opportunity out in uh, Arizona and, um, it kind of like fell to me to pick up the baton and then run with it. And, you know, but the work that we were doing was so fulfilling because there was somebody who I had a chance to work with who quote unquote got it. Mm-hmm. And, it's so refreshing to be around people who I think anybody who works in, you know, design, social, is an entrepreneur in a certain area. When you're around people who get it, it's so invigorating to the creation, the, the creative process and what it does for your working relationship. I mean, you can't, you can't replicate that feeling. Yeah. I was trying to think about collaborations that I've done. And I honestly, since I've had my own business, have not done a ton of them. Um, and actually what came to mind for me was not a professional project, but were parties <laughs> that I've been part of throwing. Um, my middle sisters, Allie and Lisa, both got married and had babies within like between 2013 to 2016. Like, so we had two baby showers and two uh, bridal showers in that span. So my sisters and I kind of came together to put these events on and our poor family and friends had to like basically go through the same thing four times in three years. But it was, it was really fun to work with my sisters on, on putting these events together. And I think what made it so successful, and I'm not just saying this to like pat myself on the back, like the venues that we went to, the people that went to these events like have just still talk about how great that they thought that they came out. And I'll, I'll link to these in the show notes too, but I actually featured, um, the two bridal showers on my blog so you can like see pictures and hopefully you think they're as good as I'm saying that they are. (laughs) But, um, the reason I think that it was so successful is we had our defined roles in planning them. Um, 
you talked about having kind of like a foreman and like a leader of the group. And that is definitely my sister, Allie. She's kind of like the project manager and she treated planning these events. Like it was just like, you know, family parties, but she had us on Google Hangouts. She had spreadsheets. She, she'd be texting us saying like, guys, we, when's our, when's our next meeting? Like we had multiple meetings and I have to say for sure that the events that were the hardest to plan were the ones that she was not a part of the ones that we were putting on, for her. So I think that that, that leadership role is huge because the other three of us, <laughs> by the time we were planning Allie's baby shower, we kind of just were like, all right, you're going to help us plan this because we can't do this without you. <laughs> but isn't that the whole, like, that's the whole concept of a team. Uh, I mean, everybody's got a defined role. And if you're doing it together, conceivably speaking, the amp, the output should be good or the, yeah. out, the output should be what you desire it to be. But I think it's also that everyone needs to know what their role is, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, you can lend your opinion or point out, like you said, like use your voice if, if you think that something could work better. But I think that the person in that like assigned role should always like their de decision should probably trump everyone else's. Do you mm -hmm. agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yep, I do. Just like I today do. when you you sent me a a graphic that you had designed, which looked really good. And by the way, guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but Steve does most of our social media content and he's not a professionally trained designer, but he's hung out with me enough to have absorbed some of my graphic design skills. And um, anyway, I just wanted to say that they look really good. Um, but today you were showing me something. And you said, like, you know, don't pick it apart too much. But and I, I really didn't. But I did offer you a few very teeny tiny suggestions. For clarification, I said, tear it apart, please, because I respect your opinion. <laughs> Thank you. Second of all, second of all, that's very high praise coming from you uh, on, on my design background. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And um, I kind of do the same with you with with writing. I mean, I do some writing, although now I've kind of like passed that over to you too, to do the, our synopsis. But, um, if you, you know, you haven't really critiqued me too much, but if you're ever like, Hey, what do you think about like changing this around? I would be like, yes. I mean, I wouldn't even question it if you said that we should change something. It's about respect. It's about respecting the people in the room. And, you know, if you're working in a group, you know, this process has to have some level of respect. You know, if you don't trust the people who you're working with, if you don't respect what they're bringing to the table every day, it's doomed. Do we want to talk about bad experiences with collaborations? I mean, you kind of did already. Not that you, you specified um, a particular project or event, but you've talked about your dislike of, of collaborations with big groups of people. It's yeah. I mean, like where things go awry is, is there things go awry when, when, you have too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, not to beat a, a pun to death here, but nobody's following the recipe. Like it's yeah. a very, you know, it's, it's a very disjointed process. And if you don't have somebody willing to get it back on track and more importantly, people in that room don't respect that person who's trying to get it on track. Uh, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a lift. Now from your standpoint as an entrepreneur, there's obviously levels of collaboration, whether or not it's somebody saying to you, I want you, or can you do this, or can you do that? Um, have you had bad experiences? You've talked about, you know, the good ones that you've had with your sister. Have you had bad experiences? Because 
and stop me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure everything is figure outable. That's as true. You like, as you like to say. So is everything figure outable? Uh, I think for sure everything is figure outable. And also, I wish I could say that I came up with that phrase, but it's actually from Marie Forleo, who I think actually attributes it to her mom. But anyway, that is a phrase that I like to live by and do my projects by. Um, but I think part of that figuring out is figuring out what is most important in that in that end goal. And for me, sometimes when I'm trying to think about have I had any bad collaborations? No, but the, the one place my mind goes are projects that I've done for clients and for especially um, this happens sometimes in my in my Etsy shop where I'll, I'll have invitations that are designed and then people will send me crudely mocked up versions of what they want it to look like. They ask if I can move things around and I try to be really flexible with them. And I've kind of gotten to the point where if that's what they want, I make it look as best I can, but I'm not going to have those arguments with those people, especially when it's funny that you said committees. And I was laughing because recently we've had a lot of customers who have been ordering invitations for um, like school events and things where committees are involved. And these instructions that come back, we, we always feel bad for the messenger, the person that, that we're communicating with, because you can tell that they're just like reiterating all of this information that they got from a meeting that they were part of. And even they know that there are too many opinions being shared. And when you mix all that together, the outcome is not going to be, you know, the best it can be. I didn't know when we launched this project that this was going to be something that, I mean, and I suppose the jury's still out, but that we were going to be able to sustain this. And not because that I didn't think that we had the ability to work together. I mean, we were obviously friends. So that's, you know, mm -hmm. the, the relationship part of this really wasn't a concern. To me, it was more about like, can my skill set hold a candle to your skill set? And is, and then I'm not trying to say like, I'm, I'm, I'm making this out to be a big thing. I'm just saying that you have, there's always this element of doubt. I think when you're working with other people who are incredibly talented of, do I belong in this conversation? Will what I, what I know be able to help whatever we're doing? Um, so there's a, there's an element that probably goes just beyond trusting the people around you. It's also trusting yourself. Yeah, no, I think that that's a huge part of it. And there was a quote that I read in Tim Ferriss's most recent book, Tribe of Mentors, which holds um, like short life and business advice from a bunch of different people. And this, there was this one entry that kind of it made us made me think of us and our podcast and working together, and also just other people that I've seen work really well together. And it's that the best partnerships are those where both people are constantly trying to impress one another, and not in a way of like in a place of insecurity but more in a place of like respect. Mm -hmm. Every time I send you a mock-up of a graphic that I made, I'm just like, boy, I really hope she likes this. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that was the response I was going for, but yes, I, it's, <laughs> it is a thought that crosses my mind because you know, it's not necessarily, it's an integral part of what we do. Just like when you write something up, like, you know, it's an integral part. And while it, not, it might not be your biggest strength, you know, you can trust me and I can trust you to give feedback and strengthen the overall product. We're not doing this for selfish reasons. Yeah. We're doing this ultimately with the audience as the end game of trying to 
be a part of their lives and, and enrich an experience that they get to go through on a regular basis. And I think probably leaving ego aside is another good thing to keep in mind when you are collaborating. I know that it's, it's really easy to, you know, have our ideals and feel like we have to like stick to those wholeheartedly. And, and I, I think it's good to have those things, but especially when you're working with other people, you have to be willing to like hear what the other people have to say. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to listen, listening, you know, communication, <laughs> it's not communication until whatever that, well, until it's received and not just received, but understood, you know, like listening and hearing are two very different things. If I receive what you're saying, or if I hear what you're saying, but I'm not actually understanding it, then I'm not really being able to take that and build upon it. It's just pinging whatever it is back and forth, your point, my point, and we go on. Uh, that's not helping anybody. That's yeah. if anything else, that's slowing down progress. Yeah. What was the opposite of a procrastinator? Uh, a doer, an executor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word. There's a word for it. Um, no, it's probably, it yeah, it's probably, uh, I don't know, you know, an executor or something like that. Yeah. Somebody who wants to get work done. Am I a procrastinator? Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have a belief that, um, a lot of it has to do with the kind of student that you were, uh, in, in, in grade school and, and high school and college. I find that people who are typically a students are the people who have a really hard time adjusting to things in, in adult life and the work life, you know, all they know is success and working for success. So when something goes awry and knocks them off course and they kind of lose their minds. And I'm sure this isn't, you know, a, a, gen, a general statement, like Sorry, it's not everybody students. who's like this. Right. Um, but me, who was very much a B and C student, I mean, I had some A's, but I was a B and C student by and large. I used to wait till the last minute to, to study. I used to wait till the last minute to read, you know, six chapters before the next day when we had to talk about it and come ready. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying go and do that. Like if I were a parent, I would not be advocating to my son or daughter, like to, to follow that method. But what it does allow me to do is know that I have the ability to pull a rabbit out of my hat if I have to. Yeah. And I can always feel comfortable knowing that. So I am a procrastinator at times, but I also know that I'm able to do it. And it's not trying to be like, you know, I'm better than anybody. It's just that I've done it so many times that it almost becomes a skill. And I feel like I'm comfortable enough knowing that if my back's up against the wall and I need to do something, uh, I can pull it off. I think that that is a good skill to have. Maybe not to put it in like the procrastinator terminology, but being agile and being able to to work quickly and pull something off quickly um, is a good skill to have. And if I, I mean, as far as like working styles go, I'm a big proponent of like do whatever you got to do to get it done in your way. There's not, there's like a million ways to do things. You don't have to do things one way. You don't have to follow the recipe <laughs> in one way, but it's like, it's really the outcome that matters. And that, that was a hard thing for me to, to get past. I, I felt like I would get up on my high horse and, and feel like, oh, you know, this person didn't follow the rules. And I still feel like that. Like there, there are a couple people that, that I know who are really successful, who just kind of like wing it and get by. And because I'm someone who works really hard, that bothers me. You're such a snob. <sighs> just a little bit. But like, uh, so, 
you're saying that you are a student who is like um, the procrastinator B's and C's. Um, Jimmy, my husband, for the listeners, was one of those students. And these, these are the people that really drive me nuts who never do their homework, are a pain in class, don't study, get 100s on everything. Mm. See, I was not like that, though. I didn't have that kind of luck. Like the educated person listening to this would tell you, you'd pulled, you, you were the procrastinator and yet you still just pulled B and C. So it's not like it was really like working for you. And that's true. Sometimes the results definitely weren't there. But the mindset, the lessons learned out of it have helped me. Yeah. But I, I think I even need to be okay with like the Jimmy, like people who obviously he, I think the, the, his problem was, is that he didn't know everything. He retained everything, but he didn't feel like he needed to do any of that extra work to, to learn or retain that information. Cause he just, he absorbed it from paying attention in class when it probably looked like he wasn't. So I'm impressed by those. I'm impressed by those types of people. I haven't, I have a, a buddy that I get, I get to work with every day who is an incredibly gifted videographer and he works very hard, but he's got the ability to do something on the fly or maybe not necessarily put in you know, the necessary research, he might just kind of come up with a concept of what he wants to do five minutes before he edits the package. And it comes out like gold every time. And I'm just like stunned, but you don't ask questions. It's just like, yeah, this is perfect. You know, you can get it done. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. matter. It doesn't matter. And I feel like that's, you know, when you talk about working in a collaboration with people, I want those people on my side. Yeah, for sure. I want Jimmy on my side. I want this, (laughs) this, this friend, Justin, I want him on my side every time. Because you need some people like that. You need people who are fearless in terms of taking on something and fully knowing that they have the get, they have the goods to do it. Yeah, we we can. I, I don't want to say we can learn from them because I don't think that we are ever going to become those people. Like it, it is important to like know who who you are and how you work. Like I have friends who are huge procrastinators, and I've even like said to them like, "So procrastinate it. Wait till the last minute. You know you're going to do a job a good job." in those final hours so just don't stress about it in like you know the the days leading up to it just have in your mind i'm gonna wait and do this in the last night and it's gonna come out great if that's the strain you know that's what you that's what you are that's completely fine we'd love to continue this conversation with you guys over on social media hit us up on facebook twitter and instagram at pod for creatives We didn't get two words into this already. <laughs> well, I thought we we may have like got it started because like what it, it sounded very podcasty what you were talking about, but then I didn't know mm-hmm. if you wanted to like continue on that train. Make sure you find the make sure you find the edit point in this because yes. we just like went in <laughs> seven different directions yeah. talking about having a plan and then knowing how to back it yeah. up. <laughs>